Hello and welcome to the first episode of Monday Week, our new Monday morning podcast where we go through some of the big issues for the week ahead and look at some of the big stories from over the weekend from the previous Friday, from the previous Copy of Property Week on Friday and also over the weekend's Sunday newspapers. And I'm going to be joined today by Bruce Deer, who's partner, Head of London Real Estate and Institutional Investment at Evershed Sutherland. Uh, and he joins us for the first episode of Monday Week. And, and obviously, uh, Evershed Sutherland, for, uh, for many listeners will know, um, are one of the leading law firms in the city uh, and do a lot of work with institutional investors. And at the minute, they're, they're doing a lot of, got a lot of focus on, on tech, uh, on working with some of the biggest names in the technology sphere globally, uh, both in, in data centers and other tech-related logistics, and also working extensively with institutions and government looking at annuity income and other innovations uh, around uh, the, the current commercial property market that we're going to see probably coming to the fore over the next few months or so. But look, let's go straight in and hear from Bruce uh, as, as we look to the week ahead and some of the uh, some of the stories that are going to make the uh, make everyone's agenda as we as we head towards Christmas. So Bruce, top of the news pile this week is obviously Arcadia Group, where we ended up last week facing collapse within days, we're told. Um, and by the time people have finished having their cereal this morning, um, things might well have changed. Um, so where do you think uh, the, the future then is going to lie for Topshop and Co? Clearly a big blow, Andy. It's 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 not good news to start the week, self-evidently. Uh, it also seems to have a potential knock-on um, with the Debenham situation, with uh, Arcadia having so many uh, of the concessions there. Um, so that is going to be uh, a ramifying situation. Uh, big blow um, to the high street. I think the best we can probably hope for now is some kind of orderly sale of the brands, uh, almost certainly to some of the powerhouses of the online world, um, like Boohoo and so on. Um, If we can get some kind of orderly sale of those brands uh, and a steady wind down of the business, um, an orderly breakup, I think that's the best we can hope for at this stage, judging by the news uh, yesterday and this morning. There's a particularly scathing editorial in the uh, Sunday Times business that Ollie Shaw wrote, basically comparing Sir Philip Green to Robert Maxwell. Um, have you got a view there? Because, I mean, he's kind of got a point, doesn't he? We, we, we seem to go through these cycles of the city fawning around particular scoundrels and watching them as they rip apart businesses and you know, shred value. Um and and I think you know certainly some younger people that might not remember the whole Maxwell affair, um, will research it up and think, crikey, that's very similar. Well, I'm not going to get drawn into the very heavily charged debate about uh, Sir Philip Green and his his character. Um, but what I will say is this: I've obviously read the uh, Ollie Shaw op um, piece, and uh, I think the key point in it is actually. Um, that that Green was um, behind the times, significantly behind the times in relation to technology uh, and online retailing. Uh, In in fact, um, he, I think until very recently, had a a Nokia brick uh, and seems to have had very little interest uh, in funding the online side of the business and seems also to have missed chances, we're told anyway, by that article. 
to acquire ASOS and other online retailers. So I think actually um, it, it is more a question of agreeing just not keeping up uh, with the 21st century. Uh, a man, I think, who uh, tactically and as a deal doer in the early 2000s obviously scored some massive wins, but I think completely missed the long-term tectonic trend mm. uh, that technology was bringing to his industry. And that, I think, is is what's ultimately uh, brought him and, and the business to this point. And do you think there's, I mean, is there a learning there for the wider property sector? As we, as we come into what's essentially going to be a new cycle uh, and, and a renewed focus on technology, it's at the front and centre of everybody's agenda um, now. I was having a, a conversation with, with Rodolf Hoffman from, from Fifth Wall last week on, on one of our podcasts. And again, he made the point that technology is literally in front of every single CEO in the country. It's what, it's what they have when they wake up. They're sat here having these sorts of conversations. So with your clients, how, how, how are you having to change what you do at Eversheds to, to service this new world that we're stepping into? Well, I think we're all having to make huge changes. I think landlords and tenants are going to have to think completely differently about uh, retail. Uh, and they're going to have to move away from a landlord and tenant type arrangement into much more fully joint ventured arrangements where they the landlords almost become like investors in the tenant's business. And so what return, does that what does and, and so what does that then do for values? Does that does that does the whole valuation system have to be ripped up? I wouldn't say the valuation system has to be ripped up, but it will have to take account of the new realities, which I believe will be will involve lots of joint ventures between significant tenants, significant tech companies, uh, and significant landlords to create new technologically enabled, highly serviced space uh, on the basis of uh, turnover rents and really uh, with landlords and tenants almost being like co-investors uh, in retail, hospitality, and, and, and leisure businesses. I think that's already coming. It's coming very fast. Uh, and so I think that lawyers who want to service that, to come back to the original premise of your question, are going to have to change their skills. They're going to have to upgrade themselves so that they're less like traditional real estate lawyers and they become more like a fully rounded commercial lawyer able to do joint venture agreements in relation to that space, complex turnover agreements, capturing the uh, online and digital sales as well as those made in that physical space. So you're going to need a completely new approach, I think, to servicing landlords and tenants because it is going to be much more of a commercialized, digit digitally driven industry um, and leaving behind traditional physical retail. I mean, a lot of people say retail is dead. I, I think that's absolute nonsense. Um, traditional standalone physical retail is very ill but it needs to reinvent itself as flexible, physical and online retailing. And as long as it's got good fulfillment and good last mile delivery, I think there are lots of opportunities still there, both for retailers mm. and for those who look after them. Yeah. So, I mean, let's, let's go heading back to some of the, the, the big stories then. Um, it was a, a mixed reaction, it's fair to say, to the, to the spending review uh, last week. Um, and there was a, a story that Sally Hickey, 
wrote uh, on, on Thursday. Um, it was a bit of a damn squib, wasn't it, really? This spending review is, you know, not a huge amount of interest there. And you get the sense, do you, Bruce, do you think that, that perhaps um, we might as well wait until next June, until everything has, has run its course before actually having some sort of wash up on the economy? I think that's where the government is, actually. I think the government is looking very much at getting the crisis in front of it, the corona crisis, um, solved uh, before it moves on to its long-term planning. Uh, To me, the spending review looked something of a placeholder, really, um, with relatively modest uh, commitments um, to um, house building, green energy and so on and leveling up um, and also obviously the pay freeze and the cut in overseas aid but there was no really dramatic joined up thinking no completely new strategy Uh, I think the government and many others have just not realized that this Covid crisis actually changes everything Um, and so I think at the moment what Sunak's done is give himself some time and some space to do that thinking when hopefully we emerge to something like normal from say spring next year Hmm. Um, other thing on the agenda the uh deloitte crane survey um which is uh always a always a fun uh fun little report um on one of my favorites on on, on, (laughs) yes uh on on the uh the big metal objects rather than the birds um but um it yeah it's obviously showing a slump in new office construction of, of 50%. Um, and that's hardly going to be surprising many people, is it? No, I, I think that uh, office demand uh, is going to fall. Um, but I think uh, rumours of the death of the office are much exaggerated. Uh, and I see that fall in office demand and the rise in working from home actually as a really big opportunity for landlords and we're helping a lot of landlords with that kind of thinking an opportunity for landlords to put in place really high quality um, high serviced office accommodation where people can go and get together do the team spirit building that they need to do do the training they need to do bring on the youngsters in the way that they need bringing on Um, and I think it's that kind of space that will thrive And, and in fact Um, When you look at the uh, survey of office demand, uh, where there are tenants in uh, line, then those things are going ahead. The big fall is in spec development. So I think that the office will be reinvented. um, But what I do think is that we'll see a complete change in our city centres over the next five to ten years with still, yes, a significant amount of office space, but also a considerable amount of residential uh, and a considerable amount of leisure moving in and being mixed in. So ironically, the centre of London will have a far more 17th century feel, sort of the way that Samuel Pepys used to go from home to office to pub and back to office um, whilst walking uh, uh, along and taking advantage of other uh, pleasures that 17th century London afforded him. Uh, I think we'll see a central London that's much more like that in 2030 than the uh Dominant, dominated office space that we see now. Mm. So we can obviously look forward to the national lockdown ending on Wednesday. Um, can you see people rushing back in? I mean, what, what's obviously, 
you guys in the uh, in the legal profession you're some of the biggest employers in the city in terms of sort of single office occupiers um what what does the next couple of months look like because ultimately whether you're a a coffee shop owner or you own a a record shop in Soho, it's the flood of professionals that come in day to day that that underpin all of those businesses. Um, And, you know, I was sort of thinking myself today, going for a walk around Angel, all of the the things that I would generally spend money on each week, whether it's going to the barbers to sort my face out or just popping into somewhere to, to buy a piece of cake, you know, all of these incidental things aren't happening. Um, where do you see the next couple of months moving forward? So I think there are two two parts there to your question, really. I think the next couple of months is going to be very much uh, steady and cautious. I think most people, uh, we won't be seeing high levels of return to offices. Most businesses, I were, would imagine, are allowing people to go in for business critical reasons, uh, for well-being and for other well-founded reasons, but otherwise probably leaning to more towards people working from home, um, obviously to stop the virus spreading and, and to keep uh, business resilience high. In the longer run, um, I, I think uh, we will uh, have to, at least to start with, get many, many more people back into our city centres during the course of next year. And the reason for that is quite simple. We've seen a lot of thinking about how to completely reinvent um, the city centre. And indeed, I've just been talking about some of that myself. But the fact is that in order to generate the money to do that, uh, the British economy at the moment depends on people making a lot of journeys into city centres they perhaps don't necessarily need to make. Uh, and buying things they perhaps don't necessarily need to buy uh, in order to trigger the flow of money within the economy and get the growth that we need again. So actually, the road to the new normal is going to have to lead through a lot of normal first, because you cannot just reinvent an economy uh, from scratch. It has to be a gradual process. Um, and we're, we're helping with a lot of that. We're looking with government at uh, repurposing town centres, redeveloping town centres. But in order to get that going, in order to fund that, we have to get the general economy going. And that is going to need a lot of people to start commuting again during the course of next year and spending, as you say. um, Mm. As you can tell, people can't see me, obviously, but my beard definitely needs trim. uh, And and I'm going to need to get that trimmed and start buying a few coffees next year to help to kickstart the economy again. Mm. Uh, but I, I guess you know, as we stare down, you know, as as Topshop and potentially Debenhams both stare into the abyss over the next couple of days, this could have quite a profound impact for a number of not just the the big city centres, but actually lots of local areas that have Debenhams that have Topshops and other Arcadia brands within them. It, it's it's not going to be quite as easy, is it, as someone suggests, as simply getting and placing a planning application with the local council and swapping your department store for a bunch of flats? No, I I think that first of all, you're going to have to have the funding and the demand there. And this goes hand in hand with the economic recovery point that I was making just a bit earlier there. Um, we're, We're going to have to see activity pick up and demand pick up. And it's going to be a long process um, converting, um, shopping centers, town centers and, and retail strips to other uses, including residential uses. Um, and, and it will involve 
a very careful planning and a lot of upfront expenditure. If I were the government, I'd be looking at ways to try and bring in the institutions onto co-investing platforms to try and get this going because the, the, the government, uh, yes, the government should be borrowing and spending. It's what the government should be doing in, in these sorts of crises, but it is going to need to get uh, the institutions on side and the other big money players. Uh, and they may already be doing this, but if I were them, I would be putting together a big conference of uh, the UK's property institutions and trying to agree an overall strategy and approach to repurposing some of this space. Mm. And and I guess in terms of this restructure of the, 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 well, the landlord-tenant dynamics, as, as you described earlier, um, what is that looking like from some of the other deals that you're you're seeing in terms of people looking at structuring deals differently to you know potentially look at, at different ways of uh or different sorts of legal agreements be that around concession or turnover rents being around uh, annuitizing income streams reflecting that with a change of capital values how are all some of these sorts of things coming through the system coming out in the wash well, in any kind of downturn, obviously, uh, income is ultimate emperor and people, you know, seek it like the grail. Um, and we're seeing a lot more annuity deals with government and government quality covenants trying to underpin regeneration for town centres. Um, Legal and General and others are doing plenty of those deals up and down the nation. So we're seeing a lot of that. Um, and... Uh, we're now seeing a move away from the short-term rent concession arrangements that we did a lot of over the summer into looking at new ways of thinking about leases. Now, that's going to be a relatively slow process, um, but I think in the end, the market is inevitably going to move more towards uh, turnover rents um, and with elements of risk sharing about public health and pandemic matters. Uh, and slowly that will develop over the next uh, few months. Uh, the, the priority at the moment, really, is to try and find a way uh, through this. And I, I'd like to see more uh, of the industry working in partnership on this. Um, most tenants that can pay their rent have been paying their rent. One or two tenants that could and should pay their rent have not been doing that. Some bigger players have used this as uh, leverage and equally some landlords although admittedly only a few um, have uh, not been as flexible as they might be so I, I'd like to see much more cooperation between landlords and tenants and between the various bodies to try and work out ways of of sensibly getting some of these moratoria lifted sharing some of the risk and coming through this together because if we don't play nicely together over the next few months, we might not have a playground in, in April. So we've got we've got to really, I think, lift our heads up a bit and show a bit of vision and reach out to each other. Hmm. And, and what's that going to mean for the valuation profession? We've obviously seen, um, you know, a, a bit of turmoil. Let's let's put it politely in in the accountancy world, and, and some of your friends in the big four um, will um, obviously have felt the force of the FRC over the summer. Um, and a number of scandals have, have rocked that profession over the last couple of years. Do you think that the valuations profession is, is heading in a similar direction? Um, no, I, I don't. I think they, at the moment, the situation is still really unclear. And, 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 and you and I have seen in the press 
lots of people saying that uh, valuers should be slashing the value of offices, slashing the value of retail. I think it's it's too early. They can't, can they? Because it's I mean, they, they, they are by default backwards-looking disciplines. It, 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 exactly. There's that. And the other thing is, of course, that the situation is still not clear. Um, I think we're going to need to go through what could be a fairly bumpy winter. Uh, and then in the spring, you know, after another couple of quarters, the valuers may start, well, will have a clearer picture so that they can move their valuations uh, in the right direction, whatever that direction is at the time. Um, so I don't, I don't think they're um, at risk of any kind of, how should we put it, public condemnation um, so there is some anyway. public condemnation, isn't there? Yeah. There is there is some stuff in that you know. There's quite a lot of press noise about yeah. this, but do, I mean, do you feel that, that is is that is that just simply some of the opportunistic PE guys jumping up and down on the sidelines trying to bash the values down a bit? Is that is that the sense you get? Well, let me put it another way. I, I don't think there's any deserved public con- con- condemnation out there. I think if I were a valuer, I would be looking very carefully at the evidence and proceeding cautiously at the moment because things haven't clarified. And yes, there'll be all sorts of people out there in the market calling for values to be cut, um, sometimes perhaps because they'd like to buy at uh, lower prices. Um, But if you're a valuer, you've just got to take it steady, absorb the flack and and look at the evidence in front of you. And valuation is ultimately more of an art than a science, but you've got to allow time for the evidence to accumulate. And to be honest, some of the evidence seems to be accumulating pretty quickly uh, in the office and retail markets, but it's just a question then of the valuers making sure they've got a solid evidence base and responding. And as you say, it's it's a rear view mirror thing, really, rather than turn the headlights on full beam and predict what's coming. You've got to have the evidence in the bag behind you uh, so that you can see and judge it. Hmm. Um, one of the other stories in the weekend papers that I was quite taken by was a, a piece about Microsoft looking at um, data centers under the sea um, to help with cooling and potentially be more energy efficient. Um, what are you guys in, involved with at the minute, not just with data centers, but with other other alternatives that are obviously going to be taking up quite a lot of space in investors' minds over the next couple of years, as, as, as obviously a lot of capital gets reallocated away from retail office uh, investments. Yeah, I've got a, um, a couple of colleagues, uh, Mark Chester on the data centre side and Tom Goldsmith on the tech side, doing doing lots and lots of work um, with a whole variety of uh, tech companies. Um, and there are all sorts of things to be done there. Data centres, obviously, uh, a massive growth area. Um, because as as you and I know, the, the cloud isn't a cloud. It's actually a very, very big shed, but cloud sounds better. Um, and there's lots of demand for data centers. Um, there's also, I think, and this is quite interesting, a real demand from tech occupiers of all types, uh, logistic-focused ones, TV-focused ones, and streaming-focused ones, um, and also social media ones, uh, to come into the UK. We've seen a big surge in tech occupiers coming into the UK over the last half decade. And I think one of the reasons for that is that they see that uh, they're perhaps one of the few business areas where Brexit could be a real positive because they were initially worried about the movement of people, but now remote working 
um, means that that's a, a much smaller worry. Uh, and Brexit gives them the ability, I think, to play a little bit of regulatory and jurisdictional arbitrage. So we're seeing a lot from tech occupiers, data centers and, and so on, plenty of work in that area. And a lot of structured inward investment capital coming to the UK. Um, Blackstock, as you know, has, has flagged up uh, quite a strong interest in, in UK real estate uh, from inward investors in various surveys that have come out this week. Uh, and we're acting for a number of uh, Singaporean, Malaysian and Hong Kong clients um, buying assets in the city of London uh, and, and really looking to uh, make a play uh, out of the fact that the UK has perhaps had a rather more trying COVID-19 crisis than the countries from which that money is coming. Um, and uh, the other thing is, I think that as well as those structural trends that we've that we are seeing in tech and so on, we've also got all the traditional short-term opportunities of a recession. We've got mispricing, um, you know, falling values. Um, distressed assets, distressed entities, uh, and inward investors and PE houses are showing a really strong interest in those. So uh, we are, uh, um, my partner uh, Lee Jackson has been leading on a lot of that uh, inward investment stuff, particularly uh, from the Far East. Uh, so we're seeing a lot of that. So inward investment, uh, tech occupiers, and I mentioned earlier, repurposing town centres and redeveloping town centres, acting for government and institutional agencies. So there's there's plenty to do. And actually, I think most firms are finding that they're much busier than they would have thought they would be at the start of lockdown. And, and those are the sorts of areas that are really beginning to come through for us. And we've um, been running an optimism and opportunity campaign, uh, largely on the basis that our clients were sick of pessimism uh, and sick of people talking about a lack of opportunity. Um, and we've been putting out a lot of ideas in the areas I've just been talking about to try and lead people's thinking, lead their investment and help them when they get to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and, what, and in terms of the, the Far Eastern money, what are the sorts of assets that these guys are chasing? Uh, they're still relatively traditional assets, actually. Um, they're still focused uh, on the ones that have come up recently anyway, on city and West End offices, I think they see an opportunity to acquire some long income there. Um, And uh, they're also uh, looking, we've seen uh, them looking as well at uh, BTR um, and some aspects of uh, other alternative uh, sectors like hotels and even a little bit of senior living around the edges. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you see, is it and is it a currency play? Is it just a single a cyclical entry point? You believe people are spotting right now? I think it's a. I think it's a bit of all of those things. I I, I think it's predominantly a really good. They would see it as a really good time to invest because whenever there is uh, distress, there's always opportunity, and uh, they're hoping. I think to push some of the domestic owners uh, to sell some top quality long-term income assets um, and some top quality uh, offices in the city of London and the West End uh, in ways that they wouldn't have had to before, partly because some of the UK 
entities, some of the UK institutions, for example, need to raise cash for possible redemptions from their funds. So there's, it's, an, it's definitely an, a moment of opportunity. And what it shows, I think, is that inward investors still really believe in the UK as a destination for real estate focused investment. Um, it's in, as you know, in uh, the top three uh, of um, targets for inward investors. Um, so I think uh, it shows a long-term faith in in the UK uh, real estate markets. So thanks very much to Bruce Deer from Evershed Sutherland. Thank you, Bruce, for joining us on the first ever episode of Monday Week. And I uh, hope you've enjoyed it. If you've got some ideas or some things you'd like us to cover on these, these Monday morning uh, shows, please get in touch with us and we'll have another episode for you on Monday week, it uh, goes without saying. So please uh, hang tight, so have a great week, take care. Uh, and I've been Andrew Teacher from Blackstock Consulting. Thanks very much. Mm-hmm.